Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, CF. Why don't we thank them and all the youth? Why don't we thank them and all the youth that participated this morning? Just in a little bit, you'll realize why why we pretty much uh, have had the youth um, involved. But the reality is, in our church, something that's really important for me is that for every youth to know and feel like this is their church, not their parents' church or their grandparents' church, that this is their church, that they could fully be engaged and involved in ministering and giving God glory and praise in every way possible, no matter what age you are, no matter how young you are, or no matter how old you are, CF is a place that we're all welcome to be involved to give God all the glory, honor, and praise. So why don't we thank them for everything of their involvement. Some of you might have noticed that they were greeting, they were ushering, uh, they helped with announcements, with tithe, worship, uh, with our drums, with Josiah. We, during worship on the floor, we had some of the kids with flags as well. And we're not done because there's going to be um, two more um, teenagers that will be coming forward, uh, youth coming forward to be able to help me as well in this teaching. So just want to let you know, uh, I think everybody knows that we're going through the Bible throughout the entire year. So starting in January, every single week, we've tackled a different book of the Bible. So if you've ever wanted to understand the Bible more and to go through it, you could always go to our YouTube, our um, Facebook account, or our website, which is cffelizabeth.com. And on our website, you would be able to have access to our teachings, even going back in the beginning of the year to be able to see it. So today we will be focusing on on First and Second Timothy. First and Second Timothy. Now it's really important for us to realize that the Apostle Paul was the spiritual father of Timothy. So Timothy was the spiritual son of the Apostle Paul, and he was pretty much his protege. Like so many times, he sent him to represent him. Like if there's issues like in another church or there's something happening, the Apostle Paul would send Timothy. Obviously, he sent other people as well, but Timothy was one of his go-to leaders that he would send. So there's going to be some quick facts behind me right now so that we would be able to be on the same page. The type of book, it's an epistle, it's a letter, and there's two books we're highlighting. First um, Timothy has six chapters, and Second Timothy has four chapters. So it's only 10 chapters for two books, even as homework for tonight. Like, even if you're uh, able to sit down and read them, you'll be able to do it in a short time period. Ta- date written, the first Timothy was written in 63 A.D., 
And 2 Timothy was written in 67 AD. Four years later is when it was written. This is considered pastoral letters. It's one out of four letters altogether. It says it there, right there. So there's four books, First and Second Timothy's, uh, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Um, pretty much all four of those books are considered pastoral letters. And the Apostle Paul is the one that wrote here the book of First and Second Timothy, and of course the other ones as well. So there's three main topics that the pastoral letters, the four letters that I mentioned have, and we're just going to highlight them real quick. He talks about leading well. So if you're a leader in any way, shape, or form when it comes to not just the church, but of course, wherever you're at, big thing is to lead well, suffer well, and teach well. So these are the three things that are focused the three main focuses um, during the pastoral letters. And now we're going to highlight the key verses. We're going to highlight a key verse from 1 Timothy and a key verse from 2 Timothy. For 1 Timothy, we're going to have Ethan come up. And come on, Ethan. You could come all the way up here. Why don't you clap it up for Ethan? Okay, you're going to stand right over here. You can read it. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers in an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. For me, this verse means that even though you are little, you can still do great things. Woo! Awesome. Thank you so much. Why don't we clap it up for Ethan? Okay, so next we're going to have the key verse for 2 Timothy, and Peyton will be coming out for this. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And what does that verse mean to you? This, the message of 2 Timothy 1.7 means means God has given us the spirit of boldness and not fear, but of love because he loves us first and for wisdom to take charge of situations around us. These three, power, love, and sound of mind, make a person's life successful, profitable, and clean. Awesome. Why don't we thank God for Peyton. Thank you, Peyton. I'm just going to move this back here a little bit. Why don't we thank God one more time for Peyton and Ethan. As you know, it's not easy to read up here. Um, just wanted to highlight a couple other things from First and Second Timothy. Uh, Timothy was from Lystra. Now it's part of modern-day Turkey. His, uh, his dad was Greek. His mom and his grandmother, were, they were Jewish, but they believe in Jesus, so they were Messianic Jews. Since he was young, Timothy, he was raised understanding about God, and Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and Timothy was only 16 years old when that encounter happened with the Apostle Paul. And when the first letter of Timothy, Timothy was written, um, pretty much Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and he was 
30 years old when he received it. I'm going to give you just a couple other details about First and Second Timothy before we move on. In First Timothy, you will learn, and of course, besides hearing Paul's greeting, teaching on sound doctrine, Paul highlights it. He also talks about instructions on prayer, how to choose leaders, personal commands, and he talks about leadership. In addition, he talks and gives clarity on how to deal with people that are false teachers, people that are saying things that are against the Bible. That's 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy is very interesting because he talks about fanning the gift of God, guarding the deposit, and we're going to go into the details. He talks about sharing in the suffering as a good um, soldier, and he talks about how his life is being poured out. Now, the reason why 2 Timothy, I I do want to highlight, is even a little bit um, more intense, you could say, is because 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. Even though chronologically, like it's not, there's other letters that will follow, but this is the Apostle Paul's last moments. Pretty much he knows that death is at the door and he's trying to write out this letter, which he did, of course, to Timothy because he doesn't know how much time he has left. But this is his last letter that we know of that he was able to do before he died, and he knew the time was coming. So he was facing death, and he was looking back at his ministry, and despite of everything that's going on, what he was focused on was still ministering, still doing God's work, still reaching out to Timothy, who was his spiritual son, still doing the work of God despite of his circumstances, being in a dungeon pretty much, in a, in a prison, cold, damp, nearing execution, and he decides to write a letter to his spiritual son and talk and do God's business. When you think about it, I wonder what we would do if we knew our, our last moments were approaching? Like, we would, we, would we have, like, the same, uh, like, perspective and attitude as the Apostle Paul? In my house, um, I, I have many different books in my house, and one book I'll never forget I ended up buying a long time ago was Last Words. It was Last Words. Um, this book wasn't a Christian book. It was just, in general, a book of people's last words. Because I just feel like if time is running out, what you say in the last moments matter, especially extra, you could say, because it's like you don't have too many more words to be able to say, what are you going to say? Many of you know that I worked in the hospital for about seven years. And when I worked in the hospital, Part of my job was when people died, I used to pick up their bodies and take them to the morgue. So I was very aware of people that were either close to death or about to die or after they died. It was just something that our office was pretty much on top of. And many times, like, we would witness what people would say last words um, also like in the hospital. So when it comes to this book, what's interesting is that you would think that people would like pour out their heart to their family, 
They would pour out their heart to their friends, pour out their heart to God, or pour out to heart, uh, their heart to God, like asking God for forgiveness. I have to say, most of the last words were in that book that I read were extremely selfish. It was like, oh, it's too cold. Please warm me up or whatever. Like, give me another blanket. And then it's like, they died. So it's like, I don't want that to be my last words. Or some of you might be like, well, that's not that bad. So it's like, pasame el café. You know, it's like someone asking for coffee, something along those lines. Some of you is like, that's actually a good thing. What are you talking about? I would be asking for coffee in my last seconds as well. But uh, most of the comments said, I would have to say about like 80% of the statements were very selfish, you could say. Were very much focused on themselves, what was happening in their lives, or like just, just what they wanted, more so like the Apostle Paul. So that's why to me it's like very interesting with what he decides to say. One of the things he says in 2 Timothy is this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, he says this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That's why he knew death was there. He's like, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So here, he makes a powerful, powerful statement. I have fought the good fight. Like, he didn't give up. Something that's interesting with the Apostle Paul, he gave his life to the Lord around the, when he converted was around when he was 30 years old. So he, the Apostle Paul wasn't like raised in the church, you could say. When he was 30 years old is when he had that encounter with God. He turned his life around for, um, with God before he was killing Christians. And afterwards, he's trying to make Christians. So his life completely changed. And when he was around 30, and he lived to around 60 to 65. Like, that's what people say. In that time, that was actually a long life. Um, in this time, it's pretty long too. But back then, that was a long life that he ended up living, being there, uh, let's say about 65. So you figure for 30 to 35 years, he was faithful in serving the Lord, giving his all for God. Like something about Paul, like I, I, I see Paul through the scriptures as someone that doesn't play games. Like from the standpoint, he's all in wanting to pour out his entire life for God and accomplish whatever God wants him to do. So to me, it's so powerful when he says, I fought the good fight because it's not easy. It's not easy following God. Anyone here thinks it's easy? It's it's not easy to follow God. And he's like, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and he's kept the faith. Now, if you had to pick one word, one word, to describe the Apostle Paul, what would, what would come to your mind? One word. The Apostle Paul. You can shout it out. Brave, faithful, courageous, committed, loyal. What? Bold. Well, Carol nailed the one I was looking for. 
All the other ones that were correct, there's not, obviously there's no wrong answer here, but the Apostle Paul is going to be behind me, was bold, bold right there, bold. He was bold. And we see that because in the, uh, in the book of Acts, there's so many moments where it highlights his boldness. It highlights his boldness, whether it's debating Pharisees in the synagogues, whether it's preaching to Greek philosophers in Athens, whether it's sharing the gospel in Rome. He's always bold. And here I'm going to highlight a couple verses. It's not going to be behind me. But in Acts 13, 46, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. In Acts 14, to one, uh, 14 verse 1, it says, uh, he spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And we know that way was bold. In Acts 14, verse 3, it says, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. In Acts 18, 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Imagine getting that vision from God. And I actually think that vision applies to all of us as well. It's like, do not be afraid, go, continue speaking and don't be silent. Keep preaching God's word. And then it says this, in Acts 19, verse 8, it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 30 to 31, it says, He lived there for two years, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. So those are just some verses to highlight what the Apostle Paul, like, you know, how I highlighted how he was speaking God's word with boldness. Now, how I told you, these are his last moments, and he's writing to Timothy. And when you think about someone that's about to write to Timothy, he wanted to address something that he saw Timothy was struggling with. And what Timothy was struggling with was the complete opposite of what Paul was known for. Timothy's main struggle was intimidation and fear. His main struggle was intimidation and fear, and it's going to be behind me as well. And we know that in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens one another. uh, another. And we know that the Apostle Paul knew that he had to leverage this time period to really challenge and address something with Timothy that he saw he was struggling with. Now, obviously, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy, that might not jump out at you. But when you look at what he addresses here, the Apostle Paul, there's different things he wants him to remember. And there's going to be a slide here and behind me, and it pretty much says, Dear Timothy, and it says, Remember. 
So the Apostle Paul, in writing First and Second Timothy, there, there was pretty much a major theme of wanting Timothy to remember five things. It's interesting because in the Bible, it says the word remember about 250 times. Do you tend to forget things? You, tend, you forget your keys at home, you leave your house, you know, you leave whatever else you need, or you, you know, you, you forget things. Uh, hopefully you don't forget like your children in the house, or <laughs> it's like you come to church like, oh, where are my kids at? Like, you know, like it's so easy for us to forget things. And in the Bible, around 250 times, the word remember is highlighted. And I really feel like God knows we forget. We forget. And the Apostle Paul, being the spiritual father of Timothy, he's like, you know what? Timothy is forgetting certain things. He wants Timothy to remember. And I think that this is important because it's not just for Timothy, but for every single person that's here. Every single person that's here, we need to remember these things. But I know today we're highlighting the youth specifically because of Timothy of how he was 16 years old when he encountered Paul, and then also as he continued to seek God. But there were certain things the Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to remember, and that's what we're going to be highlighting here. It says this. um, I'm going to tell you the first one. The first one is, Timothy, remember who you are and that you are loved. Timothy, remember who you are and that you're loved. Let me tell you, for those of you that are parents, if you're not telling your kids who they are in God, the world is going to tell them who they are. The school system is going to tell them who they are. Strangers are going to tell them who they are. People that have no business in telling them who they are will be telling them who they are. You have to tell them who they are in Christ, because everyone else will be giving their opinion. So here in a second, you will see how the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy who he is. But he's also reminding him that he's loved. I remember growing up and going to school when I was younger, when I would leave the house, when I would leave, and I know my, uh, my dad used to do that with my sister as well, Rosie. When we would leave the house, he would kiss us on the forehead and say, tu eres mi tesoro. He would kiss us on the forehead and say, you are my treasure. Now, he would do that every day. And obviously, during that time, it meant the world to me. But now that I'm older, I could realize and recognize he was doing that every day when I would walk out of the school because as I would walk to school, I would bump into other kids in the neighborhood Or once I enter school, I would be surrounded with other kids in the neighborhood that wouldn't be telling me that I was their treasure, wouldn't be telling um, me the value that I have, wouldn't be encouraging and building me up. If anything, they had other words for me that I can't say, of course. (laughs) They had other things, no, no es de Dios, you know, it's not from God. So the world is quick to tell you who you are, your identity, and quick to tell you that you're not loved and that you're not cared for. So for all of us, we need to realize that all the youth, especially parents, your kids, but all the youth 
that you're surrounded with, any youth that you have influence with, you need to realize that who they are in Christ and for them to know that they're loved and valued is crucial, crucial, simply because they're not getting that many times or anywhere else. And in some cases, they're not getting that at home either. At home either, they're not getting that. So we have that responsibility. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, it's, it's a big thing on his heart to get this across to Timothy. So many times when I work with uh, youth and God has given me the opportunity to speak many times and sometimes even in schools, I do my very best to just remind them that they're loved, that they're cared for, simply because I know that many of them are not getting that at home. Something that's interesting with the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, he starts the letters pretty much saying, to my true son in the faith. Even that one statement, true, to my true son. The Apostle Paul is saying, it's like, you are my son and in the faith. And in another, another um, letter, it also says, to Timothy, my dear son. Now, something that's powerful too, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he's an OG. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's bold. He could have easily been writing. It's like, Timothy, get your act together. It's like, you better go out there, preach the gospel, take no names. You know, like, he could have come across, like, very firm, assertive, like, powerful in that sense, but he chose to be powerful, being tender and showing great love for his son. Great love for his son. To my true son in the faith, to Timothy, my dear son. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, it says this. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience." As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Like just, you could feel the love in that writing. And he literally, he's in a dungeon, cold, dark dungeon awaiting death. And he's just telling Timothy how much he loves him. How much his, his name is constantly on his lips praying on his behalf. And when you think about that, even in our own lives, like how many times do we pray for our kids? How many times do we pray for those children that are around us, the youth in in general? How many times do we pray? The second thing that Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to remember is remember your past. So many times, We want to forget our past and not even remember anything from our past. But there's certain things you don't want to forget from your past. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. So here, he's pretty much highlighting, hey, Timothy, 
I know things are tough right now. And I know you're scared. And I know there's a lot of people challenging you. And I know it's not easy. But remember your past. Remember the faith you were brought in in with. I'm persuaded that it's still in you now. Remember those that raised you, those that talked to you when you were young, your grandmother and your mother. Let's thank God for praying grandmothers and praying grandfathers and fathers and mothers that are constantly praying. Here is the apostle Paul saying, don't forget where you came from. He said, remember, there is an inheritance here. You pretty much, you're stemming out of a deep-rooted past that is based on Christianity with your grandmother and your mother. So here he's pretty much saying, remember what you were um, brought up. So many times, even in my life, uh, like when I, when I think of the youth, um, many of them, I'm connected with them in social media and different platforms or I have their numbers and I randomly send them text messages or I come across things because I have a lot of old pictures from old retreats and old events and stuff like that. And whenever I come across a picture or something, I take that picture and I send it to them. Why do I send it to them? Do I send it to them? Just be like, hey, look, look how, look how you looked back then. You look older now. Like you got a beard, you no know, beard when you were 12. And you know, like I don't send it to them so that they can laugh at an old picture. I send it to them to pretty much just say, remember. Remember. Remember that retreat where God touched you and encountered you and impacted you and shattered your heart in a thousand pieces in those areas that had to be shattered and then healed you and put you all together. That encounter that you had with him. Remember, I remember even certain particular um, pictures of people being near the altar by the cross is surrendering their life to God. And I send it to them randomly. Now, who knows? I mean, the bridge is 22 years old. So if you were 15 in the bridge, 15 plus uh, uh, 22, help me do the math. I was like, wait a second. This light is getting to me right there. El sol. You get the picture. Se está poniendo más viejito, right? So, so um, and let me tell you, I am good with math, but I just got stuck right there. So, so pretty much all of a sudden they're older. They have probably kids. And of course we have here, we have Angel, Gio, Charlie, and Samantha. They were part of the bridge too. Uh, and now they have kids, they have families. And when you think about it, it's like when you randomly expect it, all of a sudden you get a, a picture that will make you remember. Like, man, I, I forgot. And this is what the apostle Paul is pretty much saying. Remember your past. Don't forget. And it's important for us to remind our youth as well. The third thing the Apostle Paul also reminded Timothy, he said, remember your gifting. Remember your gifting. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It also says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 
Do not neglect your gift, which was given to uh, given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. So here you see, because I, this is a letter to Timothy. So when you see this letter, there's certain gifts that Timothy, even being 30, even being a pastor, just because you're, you have a title doesn't mean that you're operating in the fullness of what God has for you. So here you have Timothy, even where he was at, still neglecting certain gifts that he was not using. And the Apostle Paul felt like he had to fan the flame of those gifts and the Holy Spirit within his life. And what's interesting with fan into flame, that's rekindle, stir up. The word means to cause to blaze again. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time dealing with fireplaces or bonfires. Like sometimes uh, I never went to Boy Scouts uh, ever in my life. Jen never went to Girl Scouts. Not that I know of, no, right? I've known Jen since she was 12, so I wasn't sure if you went when you were younger than that. Probably, I know she went to Portuguese school, you know, she, that Portuguese. <laughs> she went to Portuguese school, but she didn't go to um, Girl Scouts. So we didn't do none of that. And honestly, for those of you that did Royal Rangers or Trail Life or all those things, like I, American Heritage Girls, like all those things, you might have learned how to do it. I can't do it. When I have a fireplace in my house, when it's time to set the fire, you better believe it's the one that pretty much you just throw a match and it just lights up in two seconds. Because I don't got no time to be trying to figure. There was one time I went to Home Depot. This isn't even on. Uh, I wasn't even planning to say this. But there was one time I went to Home Depot and Jenny's like, oh, it's cold in the house. Um, you know, tiene que ser la idea de mi esposa. It's cold in the house. Um, you go, go to Home Depot, buy some wood. And, and she knows which wood to buy. Obviously, it's the one that lights up by itself. So I went there and they didn't have any. So me thinking as a good husband, I'm going to buy regular wood. And all I know, I almost caught my house on fire. And, and it was, my house smelled like smoke for probably like two weeks because that smoke, and, and Jen is looking at me, it's like, it's not supposed to be like that. I know it's not supposed to be like that. You don't have to tell me that, it's obvious. But it's like, we were having a very hard time. And even getting to the point of it smoking like that, I can't tell you how much paper. I might have thrown a toilet paper roll in it. I was throwing whatever I could find in my house, trying to get that flame to burn again. Here, spiritually speaking, the Apostle Paul said, you have to rekindle that flame. And what I love about it, it's, it's your responsibility. Paul was saying, hey, it's your responsibility, Timothy, to light that fire again within your heart, to stir up that fire you're gifting, pretty much your calling in God to light it up. The Holy Spirit, you have to fan it. Nobody else could do that for you. I can't do that for you. Your mother can't do that. Your father can't do that. Your grandparent can do that. Your suegra can't do that for you. Nobody, nobody could do that. Only you could do it. It's your responsibility. You can't blame the church. 
You can't blame any leader. You can't blame your spouse. You can't blame your kids. You can't blame your job. You can't blame your life. You can't blame your circumstances. You can't blame your tragedies that you might have encountered, the sadness, the struggles, whatever it may be. You cannot blame any of that, any of that. It's your responsibility and your top priority because nothing goes before your relationship with God. God has to come first before your spouse, before your kids, before your job, before your career, before anything else. And it's your job to fan it. We were here, I was talking to the men uh, for the men's retreat this past uh, yesterday. And one of the things I mentioned to them is that you have to feed your, uh, the Holy Spirit within you. Pretty much you have to feed the Holy Spirit within you. And pretty much you have to starve your old nature. Everything that you know that's not of God, you have to starve it, not feed it anymore. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves to eat a surrendered life. A surrender life. When you decide, it's like, Holy Spirit, this is my life. I give you everything. Holy Spirit, I want to pray. I want you to guide me. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to use my gifts and talents. Once you start doing the things that God wants you to do, you're feeding the spirit of God within you pretty much, your spirit as well. And you would be able to have victory upon victory with that. So here we clearly see that this is a big thing. Now, the fourth thing that the apostle Paul wants Timothy to remember, it says, remember the spirit that God gave us. Remember the spirit that God gave us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, this is the New King James Version. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you think about it, some of us might be like, well, Carlos, how do you know like, you know, like that Timothy was struggling with fear. This is a letter to Timothy. Paul is reminding Timothy that God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That you don't have to be timid. You don't have to be afraid. And now when you think of Paul being the, having the boldness that he has, he pretty much just says clearly, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, and a sound mind. I love the fact that it says sound mind there. And there, the meaning behind it is a delivered mind, a rescued mind, a revived mind. God is pretty much bringing you that peace that you deserve in having that relationship with God. So something I want you to realize, fear has no place to inhabit any Christian. No place. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. In, in, in our lives, fear shouldn't inhabit us, shouldn't influence us, to, influence us to a point of crippling us. It's normal to feel nervous. It's normal to get butterflies. But the moment that the fear prevents you from doing what God has called you to do, right there is a sign that you literally have to break through that fear in Jesus' name and trust God in his power because nothing should stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Nothing at all. And what I love about today, 
obviously we're focusing on um, Timothy, and that's why we had so many children, um, kids, and youth involved. You know, God doesn't give kids uh, a miniature version of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't give kids a miniature, like a fun-sized version. You know, like when I go to Walgreens and I'm craving some chocolate, sometimes I look for the fun size, not because I don't want the bigger size. It's just, it's more calories, the bigger side. So the fun size is less calories. God doesn't look at us and look at the kids and be like, let me give kids a smaller version of who the Holy Spirit is. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in you dwells in the youth, in the kids, in the children. So next time your child or your kid that's two, three years old starts saying something that you know that God whispered to them because there's no way, shape, or form. It's like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? God is speaking to our kids. God will use our kids. And how I said before, this is their church 100%. And we want all the children, anyone that wants to serve, to be able to have an opportunity to serve and be active in our church. Because that's the next generation. This is a generational church. And a big mistake that a lot of churches make, a lot of churches just focuses on one generation and doesn't make it generational. Doesn't make it generational. So you know what ends up happening is that when that one generation pretty much fades, all of a sudden, there's no one left in the church. And for God's glory, we want CF to be advancing God's kingdom until it's a time we see God face to face. Like through the generations, for years and years and decades to come, we want God's kingdom to be advanced. Fifth, the fifth thing that I want to highlight, and it's the last point, that the Apostle Paul was um, highlighting for Timothy to remember is Timothy, remember to guard what you have received. Remember to guard what you have received. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, it says this. It says, "What what you heard from me Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who lives in us. It's your responsibility not just to fan the flame, in your heart to pretty much stir up God's presence within you, allowing God to have his way. It's also your responsibility to guard what God is doing in your life and what God has deposited in your heart and life. So many times we don't guard what God has given us in our lives and or we decide to do foolish things with it. I know in my life, God whispers things and tells me things that I'm very selective who I shared those things with, to be honest with you, simply because I have to guard it. Because I know it's like in the, in the infant stage, you could say. And in sharing it, some people might not understand it. Some people might not like 
probably even agree with that or whatever it is, but I know God shared it in my heart. And sometimes I guard it. I guard it. I was like, God, you let me know when it's time to share it. You let me know when it's time for me to engage in it, when that time comes, because it's one of those things, truths that you revealed to me that I'm going to hold dear. I remember when I was 18 years old, and I've shared this in the past, uh, it was the time period I realized the Holy Spirit was real. And I, of course, I knew about God a little bit. I was in the Lord just probably a few months. And I remember the day when I realized, wait a second, the Holy Spirit is real. And we know through scripture, Jesus said, it's better for me to go so that he could come and be with us. So it's like, I'm like, I want to get to know this Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget, I was 18 years old and I sat next to my bed. I got on my knees and I started talking to the Holy Spirit. It was extremely weird at first because I'm like, uh, Holy Spirit, tutaki, you're here. Uh, you know, like I was new to um, the faith pretty much, but I started talking to the Holy Spirit and I asked the Holy Spirit, I, one of the things I asked him in the end, I was like, Holy Spirit, I would love for you to reveal to me something that you have for me. Because mind you, I know many of you don't know me for many years. Many people know me um, for many years. I've mentioned Jen. I've known Jen since she was 12. So she knew me when I was 15. She knew that before Jesus, Carlos, the Carlitos way. That was uh, a little... little, I needed Jesus. So I'm happy that Jesus came and rescued me. But when I was 18 years old, I had no dreams, no goals, no desire to go to school, no desire to do any trade, no desire to really do nothing, to be honest with you. I, I, I felt lost. I, I had no goals. I, had, I was confused. Let me tell you, That season of like 16, 17 to like 22, like that, that, that's a very delicate season. I'm not saying other seasons are not delicate, but that season where everything that you've known, you go to school from eight in the morning to like 3 p.m. And all of a sudden you have all this extra time and you have no idea what you're going to do with your life. It's a scary time period. So I had no goals, no dreams. I was probably working as a cat um, ca- in the cash register at um, Food Town right there on Newark Avenue. So if you used to go shopping back there, I was probably uh, your cashier. So that's all I was doing. And I remember as clear as day, I, I turned to the Holy Spirit and I said, could you give me a glimpse of what you have for the future? Just give me a glimpse. And that night I went to bed and as like I experienced God in such a special way that night. And on that night, I saw a vision that I was teaching from a pulpit. Now, I share this in the past. Now, mind you, it's easy for people to understand it if you see and know me now. But at that moment, that was the farthest thing on the radar. It's, it would have been equivalent if you would have looked at me and said, you will be president of the United States one day. I was like, yeah, president? Like, you know, like, uh, what, preaching or whatever? It was just foreign. But I remember as clear as day, 
that I felt God's presence so strong. And even though I had no idea how it's going to happen, I had no idea what the future held. I still felt like my life was a mess because like I was just trying to get things in order, you could say. And like with no plans, no goals, all I knew is that I wanted to follow God. That's all I knew. And the reason why I share this story, because it's a story of my youth. And I guarded that for many years. I didn't share that with too many people. I remember I would share it probably with one or two of my friends. And what do you think their immediate reaction would be? They start laughing. Like, yo, Carlos, you're not going to be doing that. Like, come on. But think about it. Imagine if I start believing my friends and not guarding what God deposited. And I remember as clear as day, the day when Pastor Gary reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be on staff, like to work with the youth and um, be the youth pastor. So I remember as clear as day when he asked me, and when during that time period, I remember talking to my mom about it. I was like, mommy, I have this opportunity. Now, my, I, I was 26 when this happened. So, you know, 18, the dream, 26, eight years later, I'm having this opportunity to work with the kids um, and to be in charge. And I remember talking to my mom. I was like, mommy, I have this opportunity. I could work for the church, you know, and stuff. And my mom is like, and, and my, what do you think my mom's reaction was? It wasn't for me. It wasn't like, go for it. It was like, Carlos, ¿cómo tú vas a dejar los beneficios del hospital? How are you going to leave the benefits of the hospital? How are you going to leave the pension that you're getting in the hospital? I was working at saying, how are you going to leave the security of the hospital? How are you going to do these things? Why are you going to give that up to do this? And the reason why I'm sharing is this is because the greatest voice that you need to listen to is God's whisper. Because as much, I know my mom loves me and she supports me. And believe me, in hindsight, she knows it was the right decision. But at that moment, she didn't think it was. So as much as uh, that, I think it's important for us all to realize that we need to be sensitive to hear God's voice. God's leading and be obedient to God regardless of whatever voice is trying to lead us elsewhere and guard what God has placed within you. It's your responsibility to guard that dream. And every single person in here, God has given you gifts and talents to fan. The Holy Spirit is within you. You know, there's dreams and goals that he has for you to accomplish. And I wonder if we would get to the point of like the Apostle Paul saying, I fought the good fight. I gave it all I had. Because the reality is tomorrow's not promised to anyone. It's not. We don't know if we're going to live beyond today. And imagine if I would even ask each of you, imagine if you would have came in this morning and I would have given you a piece of paper with a pen every single one of you having it. And I would have told you, it's like, hey guys, you only have one hour left to live. 
Imagine, one hour left to live. What would you write on that paper? What would you write on the paper? Who would you write it to? Here the Apostle Paul wrote it to Timothy, poured out his heart, reminded Timothy that he fought the good fight and he's getting a crown, not for Timothy to worry about him. He's pretty much just telling Timothy, I'm good. But he was concerned about Timothy. But every single one of us, time is passing every second. And what are we doing with the life that God has given us? I wonder if we would live feeling as though time is running out, how differently things would be. Because I know in my own life, honestly, like I try to see my life, try to pour out my entire life as much as I can just to give glory to God with everything that I have, any influence I have, any access that is in my hands. I just want to be able to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's all I'm striving for, for, the applause from heaven, not the applause from the world. That's what I'm striving for. And I've mentioned this in the past. One of my greatest fears, I know we're not supposed to have any fears, but uh, one of my greatest fears is being at that point where I know my time is running out. And I look back at my life, be like, yo, I messed it up. Messed it up. I ran after the things of the world. I ran after work. I ran after career. I ran after degree. I ran after family. I ran after so many other things. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But if any of those things come before God, it is bad. Because God has to be first. And then all those things will fall in line with it. One of my greatest fears is looking back and saying, you know what? I missed it. I didn't use my gifts and talents because I was afraid. I gave in to fear. I, I, I misprioritized my life. I misprioritized my time. I didn't do what God has called me to do. If everyone could bow their heads at this time, and I want you to think about what I said before. To think about what you would do if you knew your time was running out, and even right now you could talk to God and let him know what you would say to him as well. Just think about what you would write on that letter. Think about what you want to be also, what do you want to live for? What do you want to be remembered for? The Apostle Paul was remembered for being bold, faithful, loyal committed, what will people remember us for? 
I just want to give you these moments to talk to God. You could express your commitment to him today. No matter how far away you feel like you might be right now from him, he's just waiting with open arms. Let him know that you love him. Let him know that you decide to live for him today and always. With every eye closed, if you're willing to just commit your heart to God once again and surrender everything, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. Stand where you're at. Also, if you're willing to commit to be a voice like the Apostle Paul to the younger generation, to your children, to the youth, I want you to stand as well to your feet as we close in prayer. Just stand to your feet. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Because this day we realize how much you love the youth, Lord God. We see here the Apostle Paul pouring out his heart for youth he encountered when he was 16 years old, the youth. God, we pray that you would transform our hearts, Lord God, that we would pour our hearts out to you like never before, Lord God, that we would be used by you, Lord God, to accomplish your will, to influence our kids, to impact this new generation, the next generation as well, Lord God. God, we pray, Lord God, that we would be voices like the Apostle Paul, that we would remind the youth who they are in you, Lord God, that we would remind the youth about the gifts that they have in you, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that you, you would use us, Lord God, to guide and point them closer to you every single day. So God, as we close this service now, we just surrender everything to you, Lord God. God, we don't know the time we're going to live on this earth, Lord God. We don't know the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years we're going to live. But God, we commit and declare that every breath, every waking second that we live, we want to live it for you, Lord God. We just surrender everything to you because you deserve it, Lord God. We know that sometimes our life feels like a mess. We might feel broken. We might feel far from you. We might feel dismayed. We might feel like things are out of order, but God, we just run back to you, Lord God, because you are our source and you are our anchor, Lord God. So God, today we just surrender everything to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.